welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today we are talking about the 1994 Christmas comedy classic, The Santa Claus, Claws with an E. We talk about it with the fantastic Siri doll. I am one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I'll soon be joined by my tremendous co-host, Sarah Marshall. Siri is a model and Siri is an adult film performer. We met Siri at the You're Wrong About Live show earlier this year. Siri listens to our various shows. We're so happy to have her with us. I actually interviewed Siri for another project that I'm excited to tell you all about very soon. Uh, and then we were like, hey, what's your favorite Christmas movie? And it's the Santa Claus. And we were like, hell yes. Siri, I should also note, uh, had a podcast for a while. It was called After Adult with Siri Dahl. Uh, her and her guests talk about what it's like to be in the adult film industry, what sort of things they ran into, what they ran into um, outside of the industry. And it's well worth checking out. It hasn't been updated since early 2021, but there are plenty of episodes for you to dive into. And who doesn't love hearing from Siri? Did you know that Sarah has a new piece in The Believer? called Violent Delights. Uh, the Believer, if you don't know, is an American bi-monthly magazine of interviews, essays, and reviews. This is where Sarah first published her piece on Tanya Harding, which is called Remote Control, uh, and has uh, published other pieces since. So if you don't have a copy of The New Believer, it's time to get a copy of The New Believer. And less substantial publishing news, but we your friends at You Are Good have put out a holiday gift guide comprised of all of the things that our guests from the past year have put into the world. So if you're having trouble figuring out what to get the You Are Good listener in your life or person who would like You Are Good, there's a list for that. So check out our link in the show notes. It goes to a free Patreon post that is just a list of all of the things people who've been on the show in the past year have put into the world. You Are Good, a Feelings podcast about movies is made possible with your support. Thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon and Apple podcast subscriptions. By supporting us in these places, you help us pay our bills. You help make the whole thing possible. We couldn't do this without you. We pay our team, we pay our editors, uh, and this as a result is a job of ours. Thank you for helping to make that happen. It is unbelievable. We are extremely grateful. Thank you, thank you. And in exchange for that support, you get bonus episodes. We had a home for the holidays bonus uh, last month. This month, we have a conversation with the great Laura Lippman about while you were sleeping. So please consider becoming a Patreon or Apple podcast subscription supporter and get those bonus episodes in exchange. You know that we have playlists inspired by each of our episodes. You can check out the playlist linked in the show notes. Uh, hopefully you do. It's a lot of good stuff for your ears. These are songs that come to mind when we think about the conversation about the movie and when we think about the movie itself. I believe you will enjoy them if you have not already heard our playlists. All right. Before we talk about Scott Calvin killing Santa Claus and becoming Santa Claus himself, we have a quick note from a sponsor. Do you have a big game night battle coming up with your friends, with your pals, with your lovers, with whoever is in your gaming universe and community? And that's why 
we are highly suggesting that you go to inkedgaming.com to stock up on some fresh supplies for your favorite games. Inked Gaming has sponsored a number of our episodes, and they've been in the business of providing premium quality gaming goods since 2011. They are a small, tight-knit team of hardworking folks who share the same passion for gaming as their customers. Creative expression is one of their key values. They show it by providing an entire collection of customizable gear. You can put your own personal touch on Inks custom pieces and prepare to stand out or strike up a conversation with the other gamers at the table about that design. So if you feel like showing off your own personalized pattern, character, creature, or call sign during the game or stream, Team Inked will be happy to help. Or if you don't have your own design already created, the artists behind their pre-designed goods are some of the most talented in the world and receive a commission for items sold with their work printed on them. Having Inked as a sponsor means we also have access to certain perks, which we can offer exclusively to you, our listeners. There's a 10% off discount waiting for you at inkedgaming.com slash you are good. All you have to do is pick and or personalize the gear you need for your favorite game. Use the promo code you are good at checkout and the discount will automatically apply to your order. Thank you so much Inked Gaming for supporting the show. All right, y'all, I hope everything is good in your world. You, my friend, are good. Thank you so much for being here. Let's go kill Santa Claus. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Ho, 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 Alex Steed. Now I have a machine gun. (laughs) Sarah, are all Christmas movies from the 90s about divorce? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or they're about Johnny Law getting Santa, and this movie is both. They were like, we need to talk to kids about divorce. Where can we put these conversations? What safe place can we destroy? <laughs> Sarah, what are we watching today? Oh my God. Obviously, we're talking about It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are talking about uh, 90s classic question mark and the movie that I would say made Tim Allen the king of half-hearted Christmas movies the way <laughs> Candace Cameron Bure used to be the queen of Hallmark movies. Ooh, burn unit. <laughs> We're talking about the Santa Claus. <laughs> and and I'm so excited that we're joined by our friend Siri Dahl for this, who who suggested we talk about the Santa Claus. Siri, hello. <laughs> hello. I'm so happy to be here. You said that this is one of the few movies that you've seen, I think, over 10 times. I said over 100, and that might be an overestimate, <laughs> but there are very, very few movies that I've ever seen more than 10 times, period. And the fact that mm. I've seen this one so many times is insane. Not just during Christmas season, but... All year round. <laughs> and like, is this one that your parents were like, we're going to watch this together as a family and this is like going to become a family classic? Or was it one that was just like on TV regularly and you absorbed it? How how did how did that all happen? It was a little of both. I know I know my parents would have taken me and my sibling to see it when it came out. And then, you know, we bought it on VHS and then it became a thing where we want to watch it all the time. I mean, I feel like it satisfied all the requirements of like a movie that my parents enjoyed, but also me, you know, and my siblings being little kids, we enjoyed 
My dad absolutely loves the like ZZ Top montage scene. Like, as do I. (laughs) (laughs) Stood out, stood out more this time, I think, than because I'm ZZ Top loving age. (laughs) (laughs) Having seen it as many times as I have, it has been several years since I watched it last, and watching it again now, I'm 34, and I was like, this is really weird because I. Like Scott Calvin doesn't look old to me all of a sudden now. Yeah. Yeah. He's like he's like the age of a lot of my friends. <laughs> yeah, he's just a guy. Sarah, sorry I didn't preempt you for this task uh, or or prepare you for this task earlier. Can you describe for anyone who's too young to know just like what Tim Allen was in the 90s? Oh my god. I I will let's all try to do that cuz I feel like it, we all have our own Tim Allen as we all have our own Father Christmas. <laughs> I first encountered Tim Allen as the star of Home Improvement, a show with a show within a show called Tool, Tool Time, where he played Tim the Toolman Taylor. Is that right? I feel like yep, he was one of the it. many sitcom men of the 90s who was like, I cannot answer to another first name. Can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> the people won't know who I am as well. Home Improvement was this incredibly popular, ubiquitous sitcom that one of its many coups was casting like 45 really cute tween boys as the kids of this family. (laughs) And also like, 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 yes, absolutely. But also like 90s androgynous in a way where like everyone could have a crush on them. Yeah. And which is carried into this movie where we have our classic staple of the 90s, a child actor with a giant bowl cut, <laughs> which I guess love. And so Tim Allen was like like the Roseanne of men. And yes, every so perfect. often somebody would be like, hey, remember how Tim Allen got arrested for cocaine possession or dealing possibly in like, was it Kalamazoo, Michigan? It was somewhere in Michigan. It, it is Kalamazoo and I believe oh my God. it's 1.3 pounds. Tim Allen, that's so much cocaine, if true. That's a lot of cocaine, (laughs) if true. I can't wait with that legalese to talk about the Santa Claus, so this is very exciting. I know. Well, you had quite a realization this morning, Alex. My conclusion about Tim Allen is that every so often someone would mention that, and then the collective response would be like, whatever. And he just was like one of America's... 12 dads one of the 90s dad zodiac which is now a painting i have to do oh yeah i love that so much yeah it's so funny i i immediately thought like you said that he was like the male roseanne but like not funny he was funny if you didn't need jokes to laugh <laughs> yeah no totally. and, and i realize now like what his appeal was like i absolutely i, I uh, fundamentally understand his appeal more now than i did at that time the slight difference is like Roseanne really felt like lower middle to like working class yeah. solidarity. Home Improvement felt like it was like, we're doing our right. Like we, I mean, he we, had a TV if, show. Yeah. If we, if we miss a paycheck next week, it, it's not going to fall apart. It's funny too, because it's like with Seinfeld where like Jerry lives in that same little apartment the whole time, but also he never cares about money. It never matters. He's even Steven. These are the like hidden sitcom depictions of wealth where like people aren't ostentatious, but they just never worry about money in their entire lives. Totally, totally. Siri, how would you describe like what was what was Tim Allen's role in your household? 
Oh, I also grew up in a home improvement family. Like I'm, <laughs> I've probably seen almost all the episodes. I know I watched it the entire time that it was on TV. I had posters of Jonathan Taylor Thomas in my bedroom, more accurately Perfect. in my closet. Yep. You got to be intensely secretive about these grade school crushes for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> This is a perfect launching point for you, Sarah, to tell us what happens in the Santa Claus. Tell us everything that we couldn't, that we didn't learn by listening to Danny Gonzalez, I Killed Santa Claus. Yes, I'm gonna kill Santa Claus. <laughs> I'm gonna um, kill Santa Claus, thank you. Perfect song. I only saw the Santa Claus once when I was a kid, and I remember finding it like weird and unsettling. And then I never watched it again until today. And I still find it weird and unsettling, but that's why I like it. And I feel like this movie has a really big heart and it's also so weird. And I, I'm so excited to talk about it. I also feel like this movie was written by a person who really loves Stephen King's Thinner, but was like, what if someone hit an old lady with his car and then she reached out and touched his face and went, Santa. <laughs> Because it's about becoming Santa against your will, which is incredible. It's also, there's like some David Cronenberg in there. So, okay. Yeah. Has some Motown contracts like you like. Yes. There's a title that you didn't realize was a pun until this very day. To, to a third, 28 years later. Yes. The title of the next Danny Boyle movie. So, The Santa Claus is a movie about Scott Calvin, a shitty divorced dad played by Tim Allen, who starts off the movie promisingly at a Christmas party for a f the fancy toy company he works at, and then terrorists don't even bother to show up. <laughs> so Scott Calvin goes home where his ex-wife, who is giving Diane Venora in heat with her look, brings over their six-year-old son, cute little bullhead, bullcut boy, <laughs> who I think is actually played well by his child actor, and I forget the name of the character and the actor, but that's fine. Charlie. Charlie. Love it. Is the character's name. And his mother brings him over to inexplicably have like a sad Christmas Eve with his sad bachelor dad who like burns a turkey that I feel like he tried to start cooking 45 minutes ago. He's cooking like Harry Styles and Don't Worry Darling. <laughs> and then they go have dinner at Denny's. And I remember watching the Denny's scene specifically when I was like six or seven and being like, this is the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like Christmas is being desecrated. <laughs> yeah, it's like you, you and all the other loser dads. Yes, that's a great scene. I didn't pick up it on is that a great, as a kid. It's a great scene. There's like totally. a dad with like a cast on his hand. Yeah. My dad and I used to get Chinese buffet uh, for for several Christmases back to back when I was a teenager, and I have actually the warmest memories of that. So I I did enjoy I I had fun with this scene. The thing about scenes like this or like Denny's, I guess, at Christmas is that it's like the best thing ever if you're there by choice, and it's the worst thing ever if you're there not by choice. <laughs> also, like, was this product placement? And if it was, did Denny's have no? no say in how they were represented apparently <laughs> they're like come to denny's where it's sad and we don't have anything you want yeah <laughs> but it's always open true so they go to denny's everything's like lars von trier level sad <laughs> and then they go to bed scott reads charlie the night before christmas i almost said the nightmare before christmas i often forget that that's like a pun of something and then 
Charlie wakes up that night because he hears a, a clattering on the roof and he goes and wakes up his dad. They go out. Scott is in his boxers for like a really long time. And basically, <laughs> Scott startles Santa as he's trying to get into his chimney. And Santa's like, whoa, and tumbles backwards and falls off the roof and dies. And then Scott finds a card in his pocket that says, if anything should happen to me, put on the suit. The reindeer will know what to do. Did you like later on when they mobilize to save Scott, mm-hmm. when Scott's not re- responding, assume that they hated the previous Santa Claus? Because, yeah. because like they didn't send a group to go help or anything. <laughs> they were just like, well, just he's he's the new one. That's fine. <laughs> I assume they were watching in their like production bay and we're like, well, that fucker's dead. Nothing to do now. <laughs> Thank God. I also wonder like how steady their rotation of these guys are because that's that was like a clumsy move to really take Santa down. That's what I was thinking. I'm going to read some comments musing on this plot point from um, the comment section of Danny Gonzalez's Santa Claus video. Thank you. Even as a kid, I'd always assumed Santa faked his death so that someone else would take his job. Yeah, he gives a little wave while he's dying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just a hand in the snow. In this universe, the existence of Santa is just an extensive series of dudes becoming Santa and dying on the job at a high turnover rate, thus explaining the card and the elves being so nonchalant about his death because it happens literally all the time. <laughs> and then Crystalless wrote... There's only one logical explanation. The coat is a parasite that transforms its host into a viable form for the coat to feed off of, and the elves are in a symbolic relationship with it. That's why Santa is always overweight. It compels the host to consume extremely fattening, caloric, sugary foods so that the host gains weight and becomes a reliable food source. The elves must also benefit somehow, but I'm not sure in what way they would. The parasite is capable of preventing others from seeing the host. Once it is done feeding on the host, it allows them to be seen so that they die. The parasite then starts morphing whoever puts on the coat, turning them into its new host. <laughs> it then feeds off of them like it did with the old host, and that's why the elves don't care about Santa dying and have to get used to a new Santa. Yes, totally. This is a this is venom. It's fantastic. And the thing, yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Many, yeah, totally. Many beautiful horrors. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so this is a weird plot point. A- apparently, in the original script, Tim Allen's character shoots Santa. <laughs> I heard that in the rough draft, he invites Santa to come do some blow, and then Santa ODs. <laughs> And dies. He's like, hey, you want to do uh, 1.2 pounds of blow with me? Hypothetically? <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah, so he puts on the suit. Charlie's like, this is great, Dad. Like, let's go be Santa. So Scott delivers presents to every Santa-loving house with good children in the world. Charlie later explains there's a relativity concept at work, but like, wouldn't this take him like 10 years or something. It's it's super questionable. They really gloss over it. I love that they're just like, whatever, who cares? Shut up, shut up, kids. <laughs> and then they get back to the North Pole, which has literally a pole, which I love. There's a lot of like little whimsical things in this movie that I love. And the pole at the North Pole is one of them. And then they meet all the elves who are hundreds of years old, but played by little kids, except David Crumholtz, who's in his post-Adams Family Values pre-numbers 
career stretch, <laughs> who explains the title, which is a pun that like, did they think any child was going to understand that the joke in the title where he's like, there's a Santa clause, you know, a clause like in a contract, like something children interact with. Well, someone someone on Twitter said that they they fault this movie for being the reason the past 30 years of children can't spell Santa Claus. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do you then describe the difference where you're like, well, no, the clause that we're referring to is a very normal word clause, which means and then, uh, yeah, totally. It's very, very difficult. And then there's Sandy Claus. So <laughs> also, Alex, you're not the only one because I watched this again last night and realized Oh, yeah, I, I never got the pun. <laughs> I've God. seen it so many times. I had the VHS. It's right there on the cover. It's like there's a bold red E <laughs> yes. on claws. In the, I just realized when you said that in the opening, in the like of the like when the movie comes up and the title comes up, the E shines or does something. So they're like, it's a real, <laughs> they're really hammering home this amazing pun. They're like, look, kids. Look how we spelled it like the legal concept. (laughs) Get it? (laughs) So, but anyway, it's too late for Scott. Like, he's Santa now. He's Santa till he dies. (laughs) Till the day he falls off a roof. Probably soon. Do you think that there were, like, eight other Santas that night before it got passed to Scott? Like, guys kept falling, and then finally he was the only one sturdy enough? (laughs) Yes, I think that there are multiple. Every year... Christmas Eve, there are multiple Santa deaths. Like, statistically, it has to be the case. Yeah, they're like Apollo astronauts. If you're standing on every rooftop of every (laughs) Santa-believing house in the world, you're going to fall off more than one rooftop in a night. You know what's a fun fact, Alex, is that NASA astronauts actually... I don't know if one of them has ever died in space. Oh, they just die on the way? Exactly. They die at launch is when they die. Or in the early days, there was like a fire during like testing something to do with oxygen. I remember nothing. But like there were some astronauts who died on land as well. So uh, yeah. So speaking of dangerous jobs, like somehow Scott Calvin is it. Maybe it's because... He has the right initials. (laughs) And so he drinks some hot cocoa made for him by a lovely elf. He goes to sleep in some Santa jammies that say Scott SC on them. You know, Santa's a a Southern man. He likes a monogram. (laughs) And then he wakes up in his own bed and he's like, I guess it was all a dream. And forget about the fact that I'm wearing these red silk pajamas that I definitely didn't own before. And so Charlie's mom picks him up. Charlie's like, Santa's real. Santa is dad. We did the Santa job. And like the mom who at the beginning is like not overtly anti-Santa, like somehow this becomes the only issue in their like joint custody of Charlie. Like (laughs) it's pretty amazing how unapologetic this movie is about that. I do like so like there's so much on display here with regard to their with regard to the tension like. Yes, Scott is absolutely like an absentee corporate nose to the grindstone dad who is just missing. Like class- Zach Morris's father. He's like a classic like dad is <laughs> not around and we need to talk about that. He's and like then- Ellis from Die Hard. He's like if Paris <laughs> came, they would kill him for trying to negotiate. <laughs> and then also this movie 
hates psychiatrists, which is yes. another early 90s classic. Not a real doctor is a psychiatrist and psychiatrists absolutely hate fun. They hate imagination and they want to re-traumatize children with their original trauma. <laughs> yes. Which, Sometimes maybe true, but not, I feel like probably the universal. But it's also mainly what dads do. Right, right. Exactly. 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 He's like, this is my job, asshole. (laughs) And then there's the tension of like, there's a new guy and he actually like for Judge Reinhold seems like a pretty cool guy like he seems Jack like Reinhold most, always plays a cool guy what are you saying I, this movie's saying a lot about like what div- conflict was between relationships their primary conflict is just like scott doesn't like this guy like not that there's anything bad mm-hmm. and then their primary conflict is that scott is theoretically santa claus and they have trouble with that <laughs> vegas becomes so against santa i was like is, is this movie the beginning of the war on christmas <laughs> Because we didn't have that before, like, 1997. These people are liberals, for sure. Like, these people are 90s (laughs) liberals who hate Christmas, and they're going to take Christmas down. Yes. They're eating rice. Well, the the mom has the 90s liberal haircut, for sure. She sure does. Also, I had the thought watching this that I feel, I really feel like Neil is the original soy boy. (laughs) Also, I love his character so much more now. Like, I don't know that I have a lot of love for him as a kid. I really ate up the, like, let's bully Neil about his sweaters. I was thinking the same thing about the soy boy thing, because we get a setup of a soy milk joke in the movie. I wonder if this is how people talk to their kids about the evils of soy yeah probably (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're like liberals are trying to make you take this so that you turn trans oh yeah which is funny because soy supports america's farmers but i guess it's more important that we support america's cows In the woke pro trans rights sequel, and I know there's already a sequel existing, but I think we need a new addition to the Santa Claus franchise where it a, a woman finds Santa, and then men's mm-hmm. rights activists will like be fixated on it for decades. Well, as they say in the film, believing is is seeing. So there you go. I think it makes a great point about a million dollars, by the way. I was like, what a great argument. I loved that. That was a good one. They should have used that in God's Not Dead. I don't think there is anything that persuasive in that movie. (laughs) So I haven't seen any of the sequels, but people in the comments of the Danny Gonzalez video also pointed out that in the Santa Claus 2, they established canonically that Santa has to take a bride in order to remain Santa. So they're arguing that the guy who Tim Allen accidentally killed must have left behind a widow and what happened to her. But with our theory of the like multiple Santa fatalities per year, I think there's like clearly a grace period before you have to take a Mrs. Santa. (laughs) Yeah, there's that. We should, we should note, uh, not that I want to give Tim Allen any more money than he already has, but we should note that there is a new, this year, there is a new Santa Claus sequel called Santa Claus is. Oh, my God. They own this IP with Santa Claus with the E. That's just what it is now. And now it's about a family of Santa Clauses. Oh, so it's like the clumps. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the first half of this movie roughly is like the Santa night. And the second half or the second 80 half of the first 80 percent, I guess, <laughs> is Tim Allen losing all custody and contact with his son 
because he turns into Santa. <laughs> and I found that very distressing as a kid, and I still do. It's like there's a real body horror element to this. I was I was wondering, truly, and in, in serious, someone who grew up with this movie, did it create any anxiety in you? Because at some like at some point, just because of the things that this kid believes that he saw with his eyes, like that's the most terrifying thing is like this kid isn't imagining this. He saw this with his eyes. He reported what he saw. It's like don't it's like drop dead Fred. Like he, he reported, has evidence. Yeah. He reported what he saw. And they're like, no, you didn't see it. And not only did you not see it, you can't see your dad anymore. And it's your fault. Not only did this <laughs> Did it give me anxiety on multiple levels? It gave me a new level of personal anxiety because this movie came out, what, 1994? So I was, yes. I was six when this movie came out. And I probably saw it. I don't think I would have seen it in the, in the theater. Maybe I did. I don't remember, but I know I definitely saw it within the first year that it came out. When I was in kindergarten, when, so I was five years old. I was like a class clown kid. I really liked to like just say things to make other kids laugh. And, I thought it was hilarious when my teacher asked, like, tell us something that you did over the weekend. Well, I said that when I was going to bed and my dad was reading me a story that he helped me fix my Snuggie. And then my teacher was like, what's a Snuggie? And I was like, it's where you have a wedgie, but in the front. And <laughs> so cue the teacher's like, this child is being abused. And uh, literally, like, my dad got arrested. Oh, uh, like, wow. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. My wow. dad got arrested, wow. and my sibling and I were t pulled out of school and uh, interviewed by CPS. Oh, wow. <laughs> and wow. they pretty quickly, this was like this was like a, a six-hour thing, right? Like, yeah, by yeah. the end of the day, my dad was back home. But that's enough to traumatize a family. And so Holy to this shit. day, it's like, it, we don't really talk about it in my family, but yeah. once, once in a fucking while... <laughs> My dad will be like, remember that time you got me arrested? <laughs> you don't really talk about it, but you watch this movie in which that same scenario plays out. It's it's one of those things that you watch a movie and you're like, wow, that'd be crazy. What if you're dead? And I'm like, yep, well, that happened. So. Oh, my God. Some crazy shit I said. And then it's like, where the fuck are the elves? Where's that flying little elf boy? Oh, man. I just wished I had a, a Bernard. Oh, yeah. Or that little like paramilitary one. The one who's like. We're the good guys. Yeah. That that elf, this is me speaking from my child brain when I first saw the movie. I had a huge crush on both Bernard and the leader of the paramilitary elves. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. They kind of cover the bases. <laughs> they they really do. Like Bernard is like a is like the sensitive boy you meet at camp. He loves true crime. Yes, exactly. The paramilitary one speaks like he was written as a cool kid in the 90s, which is all I wanted to be friends with when I was a not cool kid in the 90s. Yeah, they're like Nolan, Ben and Felicity in many ways. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's great. So, yeah. So this nightmare scenario plays out. Scott is wrongfully accused of... Wrongfully accused? Let me just interject because there's so much fat phobia in this movie. <laughs> like, wrongfully accused after... After his boss is like, do something about yourself and just absolutely accosts him for gaining weight. Yeah. You ordered a piece of cake. This is a fireable offense. Shout out times a thousand to maintenance phase. But the, the thing that to me was the most outlandish in that whole thing was his doctor was cool with it. Yeah. Wish fulfillment. That and the elves. Exactly. Everything went else around him was like, you're fat. Something's wrong with you. And his doctor was like, it's fine. And also in this, the children are pure of spirit and just ask him for presents. 
But like, I love the scene where he like shaves and like dyes his hair or something and he gets out of the shower and he's like, ah, I'm me again, Tim Allen. And then it like just morphs back yes. into like white hair, big white beard, <laughs> nothing to be done. It's like the fly. It is Cronenberg. It's, it's Pete Cronenberg. He's Brendel Santa. Cronin kids. Yeah. And so he loses all custody and contact with Charlie. He also can't remember that he's the Santa. So he doesn't know why this is happening. And the timeline of this is it's supposed to be a year between Christmases. But it also it doesn't feel like that much time goes by in a sense. But then we get to the next Christmas and he has to. It's time. He's going to go be Santa. And so he comes by. Charlie's house with Judge Reinhold and his mom. And he's like, okay, just wanted to just say goodbye to Charlie since I'll never see him again, I guess. Can you leave us alone together? And they're like, that's fine. I believe most of the kidnappings in America are uh, committed by non-custodial parents. And this is a movie about one of those kidnappings. So that's really great. It is. It ends with a kidnapping. And it reminds that, hey, this was all just a big misunderstanding. <laughs> yep. And so he takes Charlie on his Santa route, but Johnny Law is out for him and he gets arrested at one of the houses yep. and interrogated by Jerry's father-in-law's business associate from Fargo, <laughs> who I always find to be a calming presence. And then we also have a little dance-ish scene to ZZ Top and then the like thought sky elves descend. They bust Scott out of the pokey. He goes back to his ex's house and she's like, oh my God, you're Santa. And then he goes out to deliver toys. We have like the perfect ending. And then the movie is like, but wait, another ending. And he comes back and takes Charlie for a ride in the sleigh. The end, triumphant, dads, dads and kids, Santa, the end. Dads win. And, and the adults get their gifts that they never got. Yeah, Totally. He gets his weenie whistle. They really linger on that shot of him with the little weenie in his mouth. It's so much, dude. <laughs> They're like, look at this lefty. This is what lefties look like, kids. <laughs> they want to put their lips on a little weenie. So totally. And, and this movie is one of those movies where it's like, What's the issue with like dads and their kids? Like, why can't they connect? Because everyone's against them. Like, it's not like dads should show <laughs> yeah. up more or like, it's like, again, it like literally takes a magic spell for him to show up as like a good father. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone is against them. And that's why they can't get together. It's not because at the beginning of the movie, he steals the microphone from his business, from his <laughs> partner at work so he can talk. And he works at a workplace where the secretary sits on that guy's lap it's not any it's not anything about him it's that everything is against him clearly it's not that he's a bad dad he's just a bad person <laughs> <laughs> who becomes a good person because santa i've seen this movie not a lot of times but enough times to remember the various pieces which is big for my brain i was expecting to not enjoy it as much as i did and i actually i had a great time watching this movie i was surprised sarah how'd you feel as a person who's not like intimately involved with this movie i felt similarly i was just like oh i gotta watch the killing santa movie <laughs> i i've been watching old episodes of siskel and ebert at the movies recently because it's like it's so soothing you know I, I feel like it's the original podcast because you're like are these guys gonna yell at each other this time i hope so 
Uh, it really, it really is. Like format wise, I feel like it's the first podcast. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I'm sure there's other stuff, but this is like definitely important, I think, especially because they're yeah. just talking about movies, which is not a vital service. <laughs> and there, I think in their worst movies of 1990 episode, Roger Ebert was like, you know, I feel like kids movies today are either like kind of for adults and not really something a child could understand or if they are something a child could understand they're like gross and unmagical and kind of crude and he was like there aren't that many movies that respect the intelligence and wonder or something of children but the little mermaid is one of them um, which i love that he said that but in a way i wasn't expecting the santa claus ticks those boxes for me because like like one detail I really loved was that Charlie when his dad is reading the night before Christmas to him is like what is the latter thing that he says Siri the the latter thing yeah he's like what's a rose sex shack ladder yeah that, that's a that's a little weird I just I also noticed that for the first time because when in the scene when Santa falls off the roof and then the ladder magically appears going back up to the roof yeah it says Rose Suchuk Ladder Company, and I was like, oh my God, that is <laughs> such a dad joke. <laughs> Rose, Rose Suchuk Ladder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that because it felt like kind of a kid joke too, and just like the sort of the care that this movie takes with like depicting the North Pole. I don't know. I feel like this movie actually really loves Santa, which is to me what it's all about because Santa's great. The ultimate dad. Right, the guy who shows up one day a year and gives you a bunch of shit. Absolutely out of your hair, but when he shows up, it's magical. And just casually sexually harasses women on the street. Absolutely. As Santa. Does she say, in your dream, sleigh boy? Yes. Yeah, she does. I love that. In your dream, sleigh boy. Maybe he's a metalhead and he should start listening to Slayer. I love it. <laughs> oh my God. Siri, so what, outside of having lived a version of Santa Claus at some point in your life what made you keep returning like what was what was this movie speaking to for you there's something about like kids movies that have enough of an adult element that I enjoy now still but also even as a kid I enjoyed because I didn't really love watching cartoons you know Hmm. I get bored by most of them so there's there's very very few cartoon Christmas movies that I even remember now much less was into as a kid. Maybe Nightmare Before Christmas was like the only one really. But uh, this one was like probably the strongest in my memory. And and I just also need to point out that I've never stopped being disappointed by how weird the sets for the North Pole look. <laughs> like it has a really strong, like you can tell that it's filmed on a soundstage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They didn't even try. And I've never stopped being, I, I know that they were probably trying to do this like, oh, it's like modern Santa. He's got like this very tech heavy sleigh now and and all this stuff. And they're also probably playing on like the sort of corporate element. Like the North Pole is like a corporation basically employing children as Apparently unpaid workers, but it's fine because they're hundreds of years old. I, <laughs> but it's just the thing where like it, uh, the 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 sets for the North North Pole aren't Christmassy to me. Mm. You know, they look like whimsical, like yeah, set builds. But I'm like, why isn't he in a giant log cabin? Well, that would be great. <laughs> Do you think that like maybe they 
tried to do too much and then we're like, great, we're going to do the cheapest possible version of all these things. I kind of felt I was like, all right, so the budget for for the like animatronic reindeer what what was that? But again, I'm like, well, they couldn't not have reindeer. And if they're going to have the reindeer, they better be realistic looking because the reindeer are pretty good. But surely they could just get close ups of real reindeer and then have Donna Michi be the voice of Rudolph. I, I could absolutely be wrong. I can't remember. Like, this is one of those things that's like just in my brain from having watched so much behind the scenes television when I was a kid. But I think like someone like Stan Winston, who did the special effects for Terminator or like Rick Baker, who did it for American Werewolf in London. Like, I think one of those guys was responsible for these reindeer, which to me is very funny, you know, because like really at the end of the day, the Santa Claus like just a small shift in perspective is a horror movie mm-hmm. so it's kind of perfect that like either from the you're cursed by being this being and there's body horror involved to your maniacal ex-partner who is extremely resentful towards your new partner kidnapped your child like either way like this is a horror movie um if you're seeing it from anywhere outside of scott's perspective and i love how in depth and like legit those reindeer are but their eyes are terrifying they are yeah <laughs> I was wondering, I was like, all right, so 1994, like, these are really good. The eyes on the reindeer are too good. And I was in the back of my head, I was like, did they do a remaster and, like, update the reindeer eyes so that they're CGI? (laughs) Or was this the original? Because I don't remember them being that creepy. I think, actually, John Favreau remade it, but it was exactly the same except for the eyes. I, I would place this and Jingle All the Way and Die Hard in the trinity of late 80s to 90s movies about dads who make up for their sins at Christmas. Yes. And I'm sure there's like lots of other prominent ones that I'm not thinking of. Elf. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. Although it's not from the dad's perspective. No, 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 no. Totally. But a dad is given an opportunity. Many, 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 many opportunities. The whole time I'm watching Elf, I'm just like, God, James Conn is attractive. James Conn as an old and Elf looks great. I'm like, why is this horrible man tormenting the lovely, sexy James Conn? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> is Tim Allen sexy in this movie? You tell us, Siri. I I feel like we're supposed to think that he is. I feel like if we're, (laughs) if you're an adult who saw the Santa Claus in 1994 Mm. and you're like a 30 something mom, I think that you're supposed to be attracted to Tim Allen. Well, yeah, I mean, given the uh, given Tim Allen or soy boy Judge Reinhold in his sweaters. Oh, you got to go with Judge Reinhold. (laughs) Well, I agree. But I think that that's the contrast that we're we're given a guy who in the original draft fucking shoots Santa to death. Yeah. Or soy boy judge. Because Santa reached for the brick of cocaine he had stashed in the kitchen. <laughs> I assume that in the original script it was like a, you know, home invasion and he's and he gets the gun and like, nah, and, and accidentally, you know, he. He didn't realize that it was Santa. <laughs> Absolutely. Although I also love the idea that in the original script, it's just purely in cold blood. Like, <laughs> die, fucker, die. And he shoots Santa. It's my job now. I also love that there are so many Christmas horror movies, and there's like three really good ones, and then the rest of them, like everyone agrees, the point is to be as campy as possible and to have like the campiest title possible. So there's a new movie coming out. Maybe one of you knows about it, if not both, called Is It Violent Night? 
See? Oh my God. It stars David Harbour as Santa Claus in a Charles Bronson-like situation. See? To your point, Sarah, it's very much leaning into the camp of the scenario and the situation. I would actually probably, I will probably watch it at some point, but... You know, Silent Night, Deadly Night or whatever, which were essentially like a, a, a straight to video enterprise. <laughs> like I don't have so much of a problem with, but like marketing a violent Santa movie that like kids can see the marketing for yeah. creates a situation in which you have to explain that you can't see this movie because it imagines a violent Santa Claus and then also potentially like preemptively creates a situation where you have to explain Santa Claus isn't real. You can show them that Krampus movie, though. <laughs> show them the Krampus movie for sure. Uh, Sarah, did you grow up with Santa? Oh, yeah. No, we were very big on Santa. Uh, I'm a Santaist. San- Santa Santanist. <laughs> a Santanist, yes. Yeah. Sarah, were you, Sarah, did you come up in like a big like Christmas is magic household? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember how old I was when I stopped believing in Santa, but I want to say it was probably around eight or nine. Mm. And I don't know if that's older than average. I think they say something in the movie about like uh, Charlie, I guess in the span of, of the movie's timeline, he's like six and then seven. And they say something about like, oh, well, I stopped believing around that same time. And I was like, that, that seems young. Do a lot of kids have it ruined by the time they're seven? I think kids with older siblings probably do. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I, I had an older sibling who did not ruin it for me. That's great. Well, that's so nice. And I had a younger sibling who I did not ruin it for. I did my best to to help not ruin it. There's something about Christmas where, like, there's supposed to be a spirit for everybody of, like, being the secret gift giver, like the secret Santa and the fucking elf on the shelf. And this idea of like Christmas is a time of like surprise treats and surveillance <laughs> is like so major. Alex, were you big on Santa? Oh, yeah, totally. What did your Santa eat? What did my Santa got a beer memorably? Mine. Was, oh, that's perfect. Mine was a, just like a, a traditional cookies and then the veggies for the reindeer. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> the thing that gave Santa away for me is the. I think that this was a classic this was like a classic way that it happened was was one of the toys from Santa had a Laverdier's price sticker on it. Yeah. And I was like, Santa's not shopping at this regional pharmacy. What if something fell out of Santa's sleigh and he had to like make a stop on, you know, and there was an accident? I wish my parents were that fast thinking. They were just like, got us. Uh. <laughs> my parents would do a few gifts that had from like mom and dad on it. So there was always a plausible deniability if there was a mistake somewhere. They'd be like, oh, yeah, that one wasn't from Santa. We get you some presents, too. They're just mostly from Santa. Yeah. I don't know how you don't like have like a fucking ego breakdown as a parent and be like, I want to give the best gift from me. Fuck Santa. He didn't do any work. He just shows up once a year. This has to be a topic of whispered debate between couples on Christmas Eve. Absolutely. If you, if you, dear listener, have this debate, I want to hear how it goes. Yeah. I have to say, I think, yeah, my parents really did Santa well. Like, Santa always used different wrapping paper than my parents. That's the mm-hmm. best. You're, we got you presents, and Santa also got you presents. Because what if you were bad? We don't want you to have no presents. <laughs> Yeah, we would do you leave out carrots for the reindeer. And I remember I can like remember how exciting it was to like find this like little carrot 
nub left with like reindeer bites taken out of it. You're like, oh my God, I have forensic evidence of Santa. Like it's confirmed. You're like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, Santa brought this up to the reindeer. He fed them a little bit of it. He brought it back downstairs. He put it on our table. The reindeer were inside the house. (laughs) If your parents were diehard enough, they'd put reindeer shit on the floor. My dad would take his biggest snow boots and dip them into the soot of the fireplace and make boot tracks in fireplace soot around the house, which I'm like, kudos to you guys for doing that and knowing you have to clean that shit up the next morning. That's so nice. (laughs) Right. And also, like, Santa's a magical being. Like, I love that. But also as an adult, I'm like, Santa couldn't (laughs) wipe up after himself. But no, it's the best. That would be so exciting. <laughs> this is the thing that was killing me about all their tech advancement. Like, and I understand, like, again, like, I feel like there's no decade outside of maybe the 60s that was more in love with, like, the tech advancements that were happening at that very moment than the 90s. So I totally understand a montage about being like, we have improved the fire retardants in your suit so that you can deal with fireplaces now. And it's like, okay, so many, many things here. One, it's your magic technology that makes you go into a fireplace. Like, maybe change that. <laughs> Two, why, why haven't the, uh, the thousands of years of Santa Clausing with pure magic and no technology, why isn't that good enough for now? Like, why- yeah. <laughs> also, flame retardant fabrics have been around for a while by now. Why was just this year that we decided to do that to the suit? And also, how many of the Santas burned to death? Like, what is the turnover for Santas? How many Santas did we lose to wrapping them in asbestos suits? <laughs> What's the most fucked up Santa what? death? <laughs> the asbestos, the cancer, the lung cancer. <laughs> you know when you're watching TV late at night and it's like, were you one of the many Santas <laughs> exposed to asbestos suits? You may be eligible for compensation. Uh, mesothelioma. <laughs> <laughs> I also have to blame this movie for giving me the idea of because before I saw this movie, this was not a thing I ever did or that it would have occurred to me to do because my parents were very much like, OK, it's Christmas Eve. Go to bed. Santa won't come if you're not asleep. Right. Famously. But until I saw this movie, it never occurred to me like, oh, I'll just sleep in the living room right in front of the tree on the couch. <laughs> but there's a little girl who does that in this movie. So I would insist on trying. And my parents were like, no, no, you can't sleep in front of the tree. <laughs> that little girl is now a CEO. I remember having the same feeling where I was like, oh, my God, you could sleep in the living room. It's brilliant. I did. I did have a series of toys created by a toy line this will ring for like three people who listen by a toy line from the early 90s called spy tech and they were just toys for kids who wanted to be spies and so i wanted so there was like a motion detector there's like all this like fun stuff and um i wanted to set it up to catch santa and at some point my parents were like that's like certainly stuff that like you know, it's not technically naughty kid, but like Santa doesn't like that sort of interference. Like Santa does not enjoy that. And I was like, all right, well, that's all I need. That's all I need to rule that out. Santa doesn't like to be fucking spied on, you little snitch. <laughs> he can spy on you all he wants, but he does not like to be spied on. Yeah, he's like the FBI. <laughs> Santa's like the feds. <laughs> 
what else, what else should we do? So, the, so speak just very quickly about the fat phobia in the movie. That scene where his weight is remarked upon by everybody in his proximity, again, oddly, with the exception of his doctor, is brutal. Like, I can't imagine having been a kid who had any any sort of body image issues or maybe established body image issues through watching this movie because like he becomes an undesirable person for losing excuse me for for gaining weight and is immediately like not even just like through innuendo just like ridiculed to his face by everyone around him which is brutal and there's no like resolve to it they're just like it's okay if you're santa no he just has to lose everything in order to become santa Right. Including, and they're like, well, we know how merciless society is. So, of course, he loses. Does he lose his job? Did I get distracted for the second he was being fired or did that not happen? I don't know. He doesn't get fired, I don't think. But the boss is like, take some time for yourself. Oh, wow. You need to figure this out. We're placing you on leave like a cop who murdered someone. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah. So I would say as far as like, you know, there are some things that didn't age particularly well. And this is like a big, this is a big one. Yeah. You're going to, you have to go away for a while and figure your shit out. The only possible excuse could be if you're Santa, which we don't believe to be true. (laughs) And again, like this is a workplace where like part of his speech is being like, all of our families are home, which is why like Bob has his secretary in his life. Like this is like not a moral workplace. I really was taken by like even his like, even his, his, I don't know, his toy partner, whatever that, that lady is, is, uh, she's just like, what, what does she, she gives him some snarky remark. It was kind of surprising. But yeah, again, I was shocked that the doctor was just like, this is fine. I, I think it's also like he is supposed to have gained that much weight in literally one week, which is, I'm pretty sure not physically possible. So I guess part of, it's like, I could look at it through that lens where I'm like, uh, okay. It's not that they're like that into shaming him, but they do shame him for the weight gain. No one right. says like, Hey, this seems unusual that this happened in one week. Like maybe right. you have a health condition underlying this. Yeah. It's entirely just about the fact that it's like, bro, you got fat. Like, this is unacceptable. Yeah, he says it's a beast thing, which is great. But then after he has his very 90s corporate, you can order from a private chef at a meeting meal where he orders like a hot fudge sundae and then he gets it on the, the hot fudge is on the side which is i don't know what the deal is there because the lady he, before him ordered dressing on the side so that's him being like see it's i'm ah that's beautiful um um yeah that's when they start being like a bee sting really seems like you're eating a lot of hot fudge sundaes idiot we were fine with you being a horrible person but three desserts if I had that job, I would eat a hot fudge sundae every hour on the hour. <laughs> and that would be my least concerning vice. All right. Well, we know that Scott Calvin is Father Christmas and the father of this boy whose name I still can't remember. Charlie. Charlie, who, and it's my father's name, oddly, um, who, in your view, is the daddy of the movie, Sarah. Charlie is the daddy because he's the only person who knows what's going on the whole time and is responding with remarkable equanimity to all of this as all the adults in his life freak out and make his life miserable. So good for him. He stands in for all millennial parentified children everywhere. God bless. I want to say Neil... My my view of Neil uh, from the daddy perspective is a bit more literal in that he has taken his trauma 
and passed it right on to the child he's responsible for just like a just mm-hmm. like a dad he's like it worked this trauma clearly worked for me let me give it to this kid and i think that that's great but for real though for for someone who is pitched as an enemy in this movie to your point siri i feel like i watch this movie a lot more on neil's side than i ever have in the past 100 <laughs> and his sweaters are great those sweaters would sell for large dollars at uh vintage shops these days so he's doing a He's doing great. Siri, what do you say? Oh, there's a few contenders in my mind. Mm. I kind of feel like like a Judy, the elf. She's the helpful elf that gives Scott. There we go. I was like Santa Calvin. That's not her <laughs> name. She gives him hot chocolate. She she's she's great at pep talks. Not really there most of the time, you know, but when she is there, she's like, you know what? You need a pep talk and some hot chocolate. And I feel like that's some some good dad energy from from Judy. It's a little creepy that she's uh, filmed as though she is like a a, a grown person. But I guess that's the thing is she's supposed to be several hundred years old. So why not? I didn't pick up on this until you just said that her name is Judy and I'm traditionally terrible at names. But. We meet her either before or after we see like a Punch and Judy. Huh. What's it called? Um, little Muppet Theater. Yeah, a little exactly like the little the little Muppet Theater Punch and Judy scene, which is kind of funny, and I don't know how conscious that was, but like that's oh. strange because she's she's famous for getting the shit kicked out of her by uh, uh, her husband puppet. So that's weird that they do that. <laughs> yeah, and there's also the scene where the where the kid starts. You know, telling the mom, oh, dad's Santa, blah, blah, blah. And the mom's like, well, where'd you get these pajamas from? And the kid's like, they're from Judy. And the mom's like, who's Judy? Hmm? <laughs> Judy was a contender, but that's not your person, right? No, it's it's Judy. I'm going oh. with Judy because it was it was either Neil, Bernard or Judy. And I just like the idea of, of Judy getting it because she's actually good at giving pep talks. Although I think it could be a blend of Bernard and Judy, too. I'm glad you threw him a little bone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bernard, Bernard was, he's very competitive with Judy. Yes. Yeah. But I got I to give it to Judy. I find it to be David Crumholds's least compelling role because he's so bossy the whole time. Like, I really am more into the Adams Family Values style where detergent will kill him and he loves murderers. Oh, my God. <laughs> Siri. <laughs> Happy Scott Calvin Day, and thank you so much for uh, for being here with us. Oh, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Happy Scott Calvin Day to you, too. How do you want people to find you on the internet? Uh, well, it, man, if Twitter's a thing anymore when this episode <laughs> comes out, I'm on Twitter at the Siri Doll. Doll is D-A-H-L. Yeah, or just, you know, Google me. You're the Siri Doll. You're not a Siri Doll. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of You Are Good. Thank you, Siri Dahl, for being on the show. Thank you to Carolyn Kendrick for producing the show. Thank you to Carolyn Kendrick again for editing the show. Thank you to Fresh Lesh for providing the beats that make the episodes and transitions sound so sweet. We appreciate you, Lesh. We appreciate everything you do. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, dear listener, for listening and uh, for supporting the show on Patreon or Apple Podcast subscriptions. We appreciate you. Get those bonus episodes. 
You can follow us on Twitter for now at twitter.com slash youaregoodpod. You can find us on Instagram, youaregoodpod as well. Uh, thanks, y'all. I really appreciate that you join us here every week. You talk about these movies. You dig into the feelings. You get into your memories. You remember a time where these movies touched you and you do it with us. We appreciate that. We appreciate you. You, my friend, are good. Have a great week, everybody.